The news is going crazy, so we try to bring some order by playing Ten Commandments in the news. Although we forgot to actually play the game, didn't we? We talk about the news in this episode of Table Talk Radio. Stay tuned. A radio show that confesses Christ without confusing the law and the gospel. A radio show that takes scripture seriously without taking ourselves so seriously. You're listening to Table Talk Radio. I like how he ran in the room thinking that you accidentally articulated baptism incorrectly. Like, wait a minute, you're mistaken. He said to me, you sound like a heretic. Right, yeah. It wasn't like, boy, they must be playing a game where they're articulating someone else's belief. It was, I think Pastor Wolfmiller is off his rocker. (laughs) I'm I'm a little bit disturbed that you think that I would actually teach that about baptism, Pastor Fleming. And it's so, 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 so deserved to be crunched. I mean, mega crunch. So, uh, if you guys would put mega, mega crunch. crunch on the song, that would be awesome. <laughs> Keep uh, preaching the word, pastors. Keep it mediocre. Mediocre and hilarious. You are listening to Table Talk Radio, where we're almost completely out of jokes. Right? Almost. I am. You know why that's funny? Oh, because you're explaining it, and we've always we've been out of jokes for a long time. <laughs> right. You know what? This my house smells really good right now. I do not know why. It smells like there might be something baking in here. What are you Just baking? I, I'm not. Uh, Carrie's in. You know, she's hanging around around the corner, and she's making this place smell good. I don't know what it is. I just don't know. I mean, well, what's the smell? Describe the smell since we're on radio. I can't like muffins. Are we talking about bacon? I can't, it's I can't get the the, the distinction. Tell me more it's, about it's this. like sweet. It's like savory and sweet, and maybe there's some coffee brewing at the same time. Wow! You know, maybe this, it's just it's is... like the coffee and uh, a smoothie happening at the same time. Fascinating. Tell me more. It is fascinating. <laughs> All right, we got a great I'm show. She's gonna walk through the door here. <laughs> she's she's gonna break in like the Kool Aid Man and say, "All right, uh, apocalypse, whatever is happening in the kitchen." <laughs> onto the onto the desk right here in front of me. She, she's figuring that mm. uh, Table Talk Radio might improve if the scent is better. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Can't get any worse. All right, we've got a great show in store for you today. Really? We're gonna be doing some more Tink Times the News. Prediction. Second row, second week in a row, we've been doing that. But there's a lot going there on in the like news right some now. News happening, yeah. yeah. Things out there in the world going kind of crazy. Indeed, and uh, we are gonna play a little clip, maybe even an extended clip. Of uh, the late uh, Robbie Zacharias and his yes. uh, interaction fairly recently uh, with uh, Ben Shapiro. Uh, of course, we uh, can admire uh, Robbie Zacharias and his great apologetic work and his ability to articulate um, the uh, Christian faith. Um, will be sorely missed as he has uh, passed his veil of tears to life eternal. So, Do you we'll know, be I heard about I'd that. So, like the two, I, I'm starting to be able to branch out and appreciate non-Lutherans. I didn't ever used to be able to. <laughs> In fact, you didn't even know they existed until now. Yeah, well, that's, well, I knew they were there, and I knew that they were the enemy. But So like Al Mohler was like the first to break the mold, you know. Now he's my he- hero. You better I've be been careful weeping. talking about this kind of thing. And I know. You're going to be blacklisted. Uh, I know, I know. But then, uh, uh, then Ravi Zacharias, I uh, started paying attention to him and... I, yeah, he's got a lot of help, very helpful things to say, and he, he's got that awesome accent. 
So that'll be good. And then, but then, then he died of the cancer here pretty recently. Alas, to to his glory and uh, you know to to glory with the Lord. And then uh, Tim Keller's this other guy who I've been starting to pay a little bit of attention to. Every time I see one of his sermons on my podcast, I'm like, ah, Tim Keller, you know, Presbyterian. <laughs> and then I listen to the sermon, I'm like, hot dog. It's always better than I expect it to be. Then he, I found out that that guy got cancer just last night or whatever. Oh. So. Oh. Did not know that. They're all, they're go, they're dropping like flies. It is. I think there is a, a, something of a changing of the generations happening in the church. So, seems like that that COVID has accelerated a handful of these things. Um, this seems like one of the things that's been accelerated. Not that you know, Rabbi Zechariah didn't die of COVID or anything, but it just seems like there's been a kind of the the foot is on the gas of history. Hmm. Well, I mean, th- this is something that we see. You talk about the kind of changing the generations as as these kind of uh, great thinkers. And what's that? What's that catchword that people always say? Um, people, thought leaders, as thought, thought leaders, leaders. Um, influencer. Yeah. Hey, someone called me an influencer the other day. Ooh. Did you know that? <laughs> Congratulations. Well, I, that's what I thought. What? <laughs> but um, yeah, as as some of the great ones who have been around for a long time. Um, pass away, uh, new ones uh, step in, and, and so it's interesting to see because as you know, being a good thinker and a good communicator is not the only prerequisite to uh, to to this. There's there's a lot of like marketing that goes into this. Like like I mean, you could probably throw a a dart at a map and uh, within a fifty mile radius find a pastor who is uh, a a great thinker and communicator um, far above most of the population. But that pastor is being a faithful pastor, preaching in, in the pulpit, teaching his flock, and and doesn't necessarily make it out to the general public. So uh, it's one thing to be able to uh, to think on your feet and to think through these things and, and to be able to communicate to other people that uh, people find uh, helpful. It's another thing to actually get that message to people, mm-hmm. which is mm-hmm. why we have this wildly popular podcast. So, that's people, right. so people can know it's about my thoughts. Just, it's my... not only that we're geniuses, <laughs> and it's not only that we are master communicators. Uh-huh, not uh-huh. only those two Definitely. things. Yep. <laughs> but it's also a, a magical combination of marketing prowess and. Smelling nice. I'm all about the smells today. <laughs> I guess so. All right. Well, we didn't get the smelling nice until just five minutes ago. So oh, I know. So, so we're, just we're wait on our for way. what happens. We're gonna have like 14, 15 listeners to this show. Like this is the episode that smells good. Exciting times. We're in exciting times. Uh, all right. Well, we <laughs> Do you know to... that smell. By the way, speaking of smell, since you want to talk about it so much, mm-hmm. since you keep bringing it up. Yeah, I do. Have you ever thought about this? There's some things, some senses that are communicable over a distance. Uh, some, but each, so communication has this kind of range. So sight and sound can travel over quite a distance, although sound even further. And we've managed through technology to be able to send sight and sound all around the world. But touch and smell are not, I don't know. You your know. BO is pretty communicative. <laughs> uh, here, so speaking of smell, so Carrie's coming in and it is. Coffee, coffee. You. I was hoping. I was. I was telling Evan. I was hoping you were going to come in and reveal whatever smelled so good, and you did. No. Ah, oh, there it is. 
Thanks, Carrie. You're the best, honey. Evan says thank you. When are we going to get mm. Carrie on the show? I'm going to hold this uh, I've been, coffee I've been, cup up to the microphone. I basically wanted to do the show with you mm. 10 years ago because I thought eventually we could get Carrie as a co-host. But do you know Carrie's yeah. been co-hosting my other world-famous show called the Worldwide Bible Study? Really? The Worldwide Bible Class? She's been hosting. And someone sent her a note yesterday that said, uh, you have a great radio voice. I hope Pastor Wolfmuller is paying, paying you a fair wage. Oh. Anyway. I'm sure you are. Uh, although she's the one bringing you coffee rather than the other way That's around. That's true. That's true. All right. So we used to do buzzwords in the first segment. Do, you, do we still do that? Yeah. Here's my buzzword for you. Office. Oh, office. Okay. You know, office, we, do, we should talk about office, not like a building or not like the TV show, but office as in station in life. The Lord gives an office. That's important. Why? Uh, because he, the Lord orders things in the world. And remember how it says that God is God and not a God of disorder, but a God of order? That that's there. In fact, I think, what is the word for office in Greek? Is it t- this word toxus? Is that the word for office? Toxus? Maybe. I'm not sure. It's all over. When you, um, so that someone is is disorderly, uh, th- th- these, this word office and order gets translated away from that in English. But when you start to read it in the Greek, it's it's like on every page. There's all, It's always talking about order and office and things like this. It's an important thing that God orders the world and he places us in that particular order. And he says, don't, don't rebel against it. You, we, so, anyway. Okay. So, so I'll make my buzzword chaos. Hey. Uh, chaos is the opposite of order. It's disorder. Um, and the re- so he, we had uh, in the three-year lectionary yesterday, as we sit here record today, um, the order of creation as the Old Testament reading uh, yesterday. I remember that. And uh, so we see that God is placing things in order, and he places things in order for uh, for for our good. So you know, each day he creates, uh, and he says, uh, this is good, and he creates uh, a man and says, this is uh, very good. And so um, he orders a uh, creation with a steward, uh, mankind, to take care of this creation. Uh, and then even within the family, that, that a family would have— a husband and a wife, a father and a mother and a child, and and this is where uh, order order is found. And this is then for the the good of those individuals. And when then that order is broken down, what results is chaos. And the result of chaos is uh, the harm of people, <laughs> harm of individuals. Um, so that which God has set up to for the good of people is now lost. And I think we'll we'll probably talk about that in this next segment when we do some Ten Commandments in the news, because we're seeing a lot of chaos in the world right now. So I'm giving you a softball buzzword for you to try to get. Yeah, I appreciate that. So Chaos. All right. So got uh, we got that out of the way. Ten Commandments in the news um, after this break. And then uh, we do want to hear from you also. So uh, give us a call. That's the best way, really. Give us a call. This is radio. 1-800-385-SOLA. 1-800-385-7652. And love to hear what you're thinking. Or we always uh, respond to those church signs and bumper stickers. Still willing to do that. Although I think we've mastered all the church signs. Is there a church oh, sign? no. I saw a really cool one on our Trello board. Really? Yeah. Okay. Maybe uh, we'll take a peek at that. Where was that? It's somewhere on the oh. trailer board, I'm sure. Oh, yeah, this is good. Okay. Service is not spelled serve us. We've never talked about that. How come? Oh, we need to. Okay. Well, we might take that up, too. You're listening to Table Talk Radio, and we will be right back. 
it's not a radio show. It's a relationship. Stay tuned for more Table Talk Radio. The daily Bible meditation blog is at rightlydividedbible.wordpress.com, where three chapters of the Bible are considered each day. Check it out. All right, welcome back. There, like we said, is a lot to talk about in the news. And uh, probably the thing that is on our minds the most is, again, we sit here and record is uh, there's all kinds of rioting going on around the country in pretty much any major city and even in some smaller cities as well. And I wanted to talk about this, particularly from a theological perspective. And and uh, Pastor, I'm not sure what you've been thinking about. I'll kind of throw out my thoughts first, what I've been thinking about and 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 get your feedback on that, and I'd like to hear what you're thinking about, too. But I'm kind of thinking about the conscience in all of this. Yeah. Um, you know, obviously, we're seeing a lot more uh, violence, and we have looting, and even people dying during these these riots. And um, and, and I have to kind of think, of course, as a, as a pastor, we're always dealing with the uh, the soul and the conscience of, of, of individuals. And I always have to think, well, what about the conscience? So, so we're... we're as, as the thing that sparked this protest and rioting was uh, the death of someone in police custody, and find that to be you know un, an unjust, unjustified death, and uh, that is an injustice. Uh, uh, it is uh, not right uh, that someone would die, and then what follows then is violence, uh, looting, and more death, and you kind of have to wonder, well. If if your conscience is able to see that this death was wrong, then where is the conscience that says looting or stealing or further killing is wrong? And mm-hmm. I, so, so I've been thinking about what what about the conscience, and, and I can only come to maybe uh, two two ideas here. And uh, we talked a little, a little bit about this before we went on, but to get your get your remarks on air, um, it could be that a person would always desire. To be stealing, you know, free TVs and Apple products, or whatever the case may be. Um, so this is the point that we usually make with the first use of the law that the law is a curb. And so what we're seeing in uh, in the riots, just by sheer number, that there's more individuals uh, rioting than there are people to enforce the law. That that first use of the law isn't actually present, or is present in a very small way. So that people can people have always wanted to steal TVs, but thought they couldn't get away with it, but now it's the opportunity to get away with it. There's that, or is it that um, I would normally not do these things, but because of this great injustice, I am now entitled, or, or, or the, the entity that is, is the cause of a person, of an injustice, deserves these bad things to happen to them, so I now am entitled. I mean, what's going on in the person's conscience here? Well, I supp- I mean, there's a lot of things that get, that could be going on, but it's so. But it's helpful for maybe for us to remember that um, that there's a, a a a mechanism that the conscience is always pursuing. What's the best way to talk about this? Maybe let me take a half step back. We are self-justifying machines. We are built for self-justification after the fall. We're Maybe we could say we're bent towards self-justification. And if the conscience is the courtroom, then we're constantly making an argument for our own 
goodness or whatever in the conscience. So it's all, so the conscience is always, like Paul says in Romans, either excusing or accusing. And we're always trying to move from the from the accusation to the excuse. And so, you know, how do, is this a saying that people say, if you need an excuse, any excuse will do? I've heard it before. Mm-hmm. Okay. Sometimes I know. I, sometimes I don't know if that's the thing that people say or just like some weird thing that my family said. You know? <laughs> Wait, check. Is this real? <laughs> <laughs> the, the truth. Am I dreaming? Pinch myself. Now this is so. It, when you need it, this is the kind of the basis of the conscience, right? If you need an excuse, any excuse will do. And so, so then you go out there and you're like, okay, I, I want to loot, but I've got some sense that looting is maybe not the best thing to do. So. Uh, I'm gonna. I'm just gonna go and check uh, if there's something that I can do to help excuse myself. And if I can, then I'm gonna. I'm gonna grab onto it. So I, I saw this video. I was telling you before we started that some guy was like stealing all the stuff from Target, which reminds me of the Babylon Bee article. So great. It says that uh, suburban white women join in looting after they figure out they can get stuff from free from Target. <laughs> It's hilarious. The visual that I, I just see these moms pulling up in their soccer vans. <laughs> it's true. Uh, so, the, but the guy was looting a Target or something, and, and the guy says, "Hey, well, how come you think this is right to take all this stuff?" And he says, "It was built on the backs of the slaves." Hmm. So, if you can, so it's it's ours because because it was yeah. built on the backs of slaves. Yeah, if you can attack, if there's some injustice. If there's injustice in the foundation of the thing, then you can go and, I don't know, then, then that makes it lawless. You know, it makes the, if there's injustice on the foundation of a thing, then trying to defend the foundation, is, even if you if it's under the guise of right, like say the police trying to protect private property, that looks right, but they're trying to protect the rotten foundation. So it, it undermines the authority that's there. Well, that's... That's a that's a stretch, especially as we're looking at it. We're like, wait a wait a minute. There's so many leaps that went into that whole thing. But but it's this that's the point of the conscience. When you need an excuse, any excuse will do. Which includes racism. I mean, racism is another form. I mean, if if someone's a racist because they despise or hate or whatever someone because of their race or skin color or ethnicity or anything like that, that's also uh an excuse in the conscience that's that's an argument that i can do i can treat this person poorly and it doesn't matter because of whatever so that we're we're so we're self-justifying machines so we're looking for anything to excuse our own actions and and uh um the things that we think and do and say so uh, so i was thinking about the conscience what what would what have been your thoughts theologically during all of this mm I've been thinking a lot about this idea of order and the abuse of authority. You know how, how when someone gets put in authority, if you if this person in authority sins, then it really does damage to the person underneath them. And the temptation, you know, we talked about this some last time. The temptation comes along to reject the authority altogether. I've been trying to understand also the role of race in this thing because I I think you can we can say rightly look the Christian does has. There's no such thing as race for the Christian. I mean, that doesn't even exist as a category. By the way, I learned that um, to say that is a microaggression. Mm. But that's the problem is that some people are racist, but there's another thing. I mean, I don't know. So I've been trying to – I talked to a couple of our 
our young black Lutheran uh, guys to try to sort, to, to, you know, to try to see if the, if there's just something that I'm missing. I don't know. Maybe there is something. I, I try to be careful about that, but I don't know. But so. I, I mean, you make a good point. I mean, so so I mean, uh, we we should see. Uh, and you made this point last week. We should see the the fellow man, you know, the fellow person to 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 be our brother or our sister um, in humanity, regardless of what their genealogy is. I mean, I, did you bring this up last week too? Um, that uh, our our uh, ethnicities are being so mixed these days, right? I mean, right. they can do those. Uh, did you told me that? Didn't you do the the DNA thing where it looks at your your genealogy? Did you do that? Uh, no, uh, Hannah did. Oh, okay. It's and it's led to endless debates in our in our <laughs> because because it's just it's like a ugh, the whole thing doesn't make sense. And I'm trying to explain how the whole thing is a sham because I'm like, okay, like you're so such and such Cro Magnon man and such and such Ashkenazi Jew. Well, like Cro-Magnon man, according to this whole thing, was like ten thousand years ago. An Ashkenazi Jew? When is that? That's like two hundred years ago. How much Cro-Magnon man was in the Ashkenazi Jew? How, and how come you don't get to do that? Like, and what? At what point? Like, man, let's just say don't that. Don't talk about DNA testing. My dad would go off. <laughs> I say I was living in Crete. Say I was living okay. in Crete like three thousand years ago. Okay, I'm a Cretan. I'm I'm working. I'm I'm a Minoan. You know, it's it's a. It's all I'm sacrificing the young men to the to the virgin goddess or whatever. I think that Zeus was born on the island, and I, and I say I'm get tired of living in Crete, so I move over to China. Right? Why not? I'm like ah, I walk over to Persia. Uh, walls are too big. I'm going all the way to India. No rivers are too muddy, so I go to China. Whatever. I'm living in China, and then it's, at some point I have kids, and they move to the United States. Now, am I? Are they going to show up as Cretans or as Chinese? At some point. Everyone was moving around to someplace. When do you stop? Well, okay, that you was know? that was actually the only point that I was trying to get at. Didn't mean to push a button. <laughs> Sorry, but but just, that's only one of the debates. Well, oh man, there's I got a long I got a long <laughs> list of complaints about this whole big. Deal. The only point that I was trying to squeeze in here was that uh, we're mixing around <laughs> a lot more than maybe we did in antiquity, just because we're able to travel a lot more. I mean, I could hop on a plane and fly across the world and. Well, not me, but a, a person who is single and fall in love with someone and get married. I mean, that's so easy to do these days. Um, whereas in times of antiquity, there was less travel to. So I guess the point that I'm driving at is that because there's so much uh, mix with ethnicity, that it makes the point all the more. Like if I'm going to be uh, a racist against against Cretans, do I have to be? Do I have to abhor the point zero three five percent of which you are a Cretan? I mean, how do you? How it just uh, we're, we're beyond the the kind of. I mean, I'm, I'm, I I admit that bias and and prejudice and these things still exist on the basis of skin color and whatnot. But that to to say that that we are all one human race is right and is accurate and is true, and that's what we, I think we should be uh, emphasizing. It's a, uh, we need to do these shirts that say, Welcome to the Noah Family Reunion. All and right. Sell them on the Table Talk Radio. We'll do Can it. Can we do that? Yeah. All right. When we get back, we want to listen to a protest and respond to that. 
Stay tuned. Table Talk Radio. It's like spinach. We know you don't want to, but it's good for you. So I've kicked up the Wolfmuller One YouTube channel, and I was talking to Daniel, my expert YouTube advisor, about it, who said, Dad, your stuff is really bad. I know, Daniel, I know. But look, I have 4,006 uh, for watch time. And to monetize on YouTube, you got to have 4,000 hours. And I, I look, I said, look, 4,006. And Daniel says, Dad, you have 4,006 minutes, not hours. <laughs> anyway... If you want to see what we're up to over on YouTube, you can visit YouTube, search for Wolfmuller. Wolfmuller One is the channel name. See you there. So you were talking about um, in your all this going on about order, and this is interesting because the Minneapolis mayor was down on the streets with a lot of the protesters and and was apparently getting him riled up. Did you see the the events leading up to our clip here? No. Okay. The pro- I mean, I so I saw the um I saw the mayor was there and he was speaking to the crowd about how they got to bring an end to systemic injustice. He, so he was so the mayor of Minneapolis was like part of the protest. I saw is that what you're talking about? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I saw that. That's yeah, that's wild stuff. So so you have I mean, I just will just point out the irony for anyone who missed it. Uh, a mayor decrying systemic racism. I mean, it's it's. Uh, I mean, if you're part of the system and you're saying that there's systemic racism, then you're part of the problem. I mean, so so there there seems then to be. I mean, this this would be for the protesters a great opportunity. We have the mayor of a city where who, who's admitting there is a problem with systemic racism, and so. The person in the system should have uh, an answer to it. And what is the answer that's proposed? Well, the the crowds have proposed. Well, the answer then is to uh, defund the police. And so the question then is posed to the Minneapolis mayor, will you right here and right now uh, promise to or commit to defunding the police? Boy, what what an interesting situation for a mayor to find himself in. Mm Mm-hmm. It's like, wait a minute! I didn't sign up for this. Especially in, in, in his 15 years of life experience. <laughs> yeah, I know. He looks like Mark Zuckerberg or something. So he, uh, it's it's kind of and it's something. He's you know he's right there in the middle. I'm going out there. I'm gonna rile everyone. I'm gonna get everyone on my side. And then, oof. Yeah. Sorry. Right, so t- quite a turn. So let's listen to this clip. Uh, this was by MSNBC. Minnesota, the epicenter of the nationwide protests over George Floyd's death, the Minneapolis mayor received a stinging rebuke Saturday. While speaking to demonstrators about police reform, Mayor Jacob Fry refused to commit to defunding the police, prompting a wave of boos and go-home chants from the crowd. That's a theological word. All right. So shame, shame, shame. That's on the internet as the Minneapolis mayor walk of shame. (laughs) The walk of shame. My goodness. So what's going on here? Uh, uh, Well, 
there's a lot of stuff. I mean, one of the things about the so about progressivism as a as an ideology is that you, it's right there in the name it, progressive. It's always progressing, and that means it's always going to be leaving something behind. There's you're never going to be able to catch up. So it like like to take for the example J.K. Rowling, right? Have you seen the news about what's going on with J.K. Rowling? Mm-mm. Is uh, she she's and she came out again on Twitter. I don't know. This came up on the Twitter the other day. I saw it. she's talking about how the, the ideology of transsexualism destroys femininity, and mm. she wants to be a feminist. <laughs> she, mm. And so and she wants to be she wants to be like a gay rights activist, and she says you you can't be gay in, unless you have sex and gender so if you destroy sex and gender then no you don't have feminism you don't have Boy, homosexual activism and, and so she so now she but and so everyone like the progress everyone's saying you can't read harry potter someone put this great tweet they said I- i'm old enough to remember when both conservatives and liberals banned harry potter <laughs> it's amazing actually to think about it, because you, how so? How fast the thing progresses, it's going to leave you behind. So here, the mayor's up there on systemic racism, but he's he's a half step behind because it's not only systemic racism. What are you going to do? You have to defund the police, which just does not seem like a good idea to me. I mean, but you know, you know what? The same the same impulse to wreck to destroy borders, no borders, no police. This kind of strange utopia, which is a denial of original sin, is. I I don't uh, it's it's just it's kind of wild that, that it's in some people's imaginations and it might be okay to protest to defund the police but when you're actually in charge you know when you when you're a mayor <laughs> and you're looking at like crime statistics you're like well that uh you know who's going to who's going to come when someone breaks into your house right who's going to who's going to come when someone starts beating up somebody else yeah I mean, how, how in the world is, but there's this, it's, it's so progressivism is always going to progress faster than most people can move. And that's what's happening now. I mean, that's even what's going to, I mean, that's like this thing with, with the, we see all these political candidates like Joe Biden and all these guys is like they keep changing their position. So you look back to how Joe Biden was when he first started becoming a politician and he seems like Abraham Lincoln compared to how he is now. Mm. And still he's behind the times. <laughs> Still, is he's not progressive enough, so that devouring is going to devour, and at some point, it's, it 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 runs past you. Also, at some point, the fire you you know you're stoking the fire, and the fire catches up to you. I mean, so last week I I tried to make a distinction between what is being called systemic racism and um, individuals within, say, offices who may be racist, and those are two different things. Um, so let's let's just concede for the moment that there is uh, uh, systemic racism. That is to say that that the the entire system is is like let's say in its policies is um, racist. I mean let let's just suppose that's true for a moment. That that every police department says if you see someone of a certain color, be sure to arrest them just because of the color of their skin. Let's just suppose that's true. Would it follow? That the corrective action that needs to be taken then was to uh, defund police departments. In other words, I'm asking is why not just fix the problem in the system? 
why why should the entire system be brought down? Like like does does the system serve a purpose or or does does the the office that exists have a good purpose? And apparently the the, the protesters here at least are saying that it doesn't even serve a good purpose. Right. And and that's something that I have a hard time understanding. I mean, I like to think that just in the 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 moment of the protest, the fervor of outrage has taken us to this conclusion because I don't think a rational human being can come. To, I mean, imagine if there was a doctor who uh, performed uh, uh, not by accident but by intentionally harmed an individual because of the basis of race. Would we be saying get rid of all hospitals? Uh, I would hope not. <laughs> I mean, I would hope not too. But but that's that's an observation that the that the the system has a good purpose, even if there are individuals who fail to operate it, or even if it's it's so ingrained into the system that uh, there's a problem. We still have to recognize that the system is meant to do a good thing, right? Yeah, that's the so that's the temptation that we've been talking about. So when you're sinned against by someone in authority, the devil comes along and tempts you to uh, conflate the sin with the system, the the sin with the with the office rather than with the person. So if you're abused by your parents, this is a thing that happens. Like if you're abused by your dad, then then the whole institution of fatherhood comes under your rage and anger. Not just for mm-hmm. you, that particular individual, but also for yourself, you know. So maybe I want to don't want to be a father. Maybe I'll, maybe I won't have a family. Maybe I won't have a wife. I'll have a, I'll just you know, or maybe whatever you know. Maybe I'll carry on the abuse to someone else. It's really, it's kind of a, a mess. So. Yeah, that and that that happens. I mean, uh, maybe someone um, has a bad marriage and and their spouse is abusive, and so now they hate all men or all women or whatever, you know, so they attribute then. I mean, so their abhorrence is not to the one holding the office, but to the entire office itself. By the way, I'm completely cashing in on your buzzword. You're not even noticing. Ugh. What was it? Office? <laughs> if you remember what your buzzword was. <laughs> My notes are kind of chaotic. <laughs> okay. We have a couple of minutes left um, on this. Did you get that? Chaotic? Does oh, that, dang, I go dang it. Are you serious? <laughs> Uh, that was like a buzzword uh, jujitsu move right there. Was, was. You know why that's funny? Uh, all right. We have about a minute and a half left. Uh, any final thoughts on this before we move on to um, Ravi Zacharias? No, let's uh, let's do it. Ravi Zacharias, Christian apologist. He started out as a his big th- – so his story has been coming out lately. He was in India. He was uh, obviously very, very smart, but he attempted to murder himself and in despair – his mom left him a Bible, so he'd tell that story often. And um, and so he kind of reaches out to the Lord from despair. And he always, his idea with the internet, Ravi Zacharias, RZIM, was to help the Christians think and, and to help thinkers believe. So he always was kind of after the thoughtful pagan. I remember watching one video of his, and some guy asked him a question about uh, why we need order in the society and he's, you know, why, why do you, why do we need to say, why does God need to give us all these rules like do not murder and so forth? And he asked the guy, "Do you lock your door at night?" <laughs> it was so great. And then the guy, so he goes back and forth, and he says, he says, "Stay here, stay here after the, uh, come up to the stage when this is done. You're the kind of guy we're after." <laughs> I love it. I love it. Just to say, hey, you're the kind of guy we're after. So, um, uh, so anyway, he, he's. Um, 
I, I've found him to be a helpful voice and more and more helpful. I've been listening to him, Ravi Zacharias more and more. I subscribe to the RZIM podcast and so forth. He died now a couple of weeks, three weeks ago or so, uh, after a short battle with cancer. Mm. And so we're, we want to... We want to hear his voice uh, a little bit and react to it. I think that's what's coming up next. Yeah, so he was on the Ben Shapiro uh, show, I don't know, maybe a year or two ago, if that long. And, uh, you know, uh, Ben Shapiro being a a Jew, uh, Ravi Zacharias is able to kind of lay out these uh, differences and uh, really try to appeal with the gospel to Ben Shapiro. So we'll listen to that, and uh, that'll be uh, good stuff. So stay tuned. You're listening to Table Talk Radio. Table Talk Radio. We love our on-demand listener. I'm reading Luther's sermons from the House Postal every week. You can find it at www.hope-aurora.org. Click on the Luther Sermon Podcast. I think my favorite Ravi Zacharias... uh, quote, if you want to call it that, he was doing a uh, uh, presentation on Mormonism. And of course, you know that Mormons believe that the that God the Father is a, a physical being. And so he was in a debate with some Mormon and who was quoting all these passages that, you know, uh, the the arm of God or the hand of God or or uh, place him under his feet and all of these kind of quotations of, of um, what we call anthropomorphisms, but, but that uh, describing physical characteristics of God and coming to the conclusion then that God is a physical being. And so Rabbi Zacharias quotes uh, Psalm 91.4, which says, He will cover you with his feathers, and under his wings you will find refuge, and says, God must be a chicken. It's <laughs> 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 great. Uh, all right, so here is a little bit of an exchange with Ben Shapiro and Rabbi Zacharias. What do you think that Christianity adds to the world that, that Judaism didn't in the first place? Great question. First of all, I want you to know uh, how proud I am to have friends like you and Dennis Prager, Michael Medved. I'll be back with Dennis again. I think I remember Dennis's comment when we were talking on this. He was brilliant what he said. He said, when Messiah comes, I will just have one question. Have you been here before? <laughs> and I think that is what it will really boil down to. I don't like to say the word add because it seems like it is something superimposed that wasn't there. I think it was already there, Ben. Of course, uh, my own upbringing was so different. It was my ancestors were Orthodox Hindu priests generations ago from the highest caste Mm -hmm. to the Hindu priesthood. I think it is that one verse, one line, that the moral law hangs upon. I am the Lord your God that brought you out of the land of Egypt. That redemption motif, I think it moved beyond the metaphor from Egypt, although it was real. It moved beyond the blood sacrifices, and it moved to the very person of the Son of Man that Daniel talked about, and the perfection of the law, which was not violated, but affirmed and endorsed. So what I see in the person of Jesus Christ are two very real things, Ben. Number one, it is the fact that he embodied that which was the purest that was called for 
by this very rigorous 613 system of laws that were given. And if you move down even to Habakkuk, uh, which is then quoted three times in the New Testament, from 613, David reduced it to a handful. Isaiah reduced it even more. Micah brought it down to three to do justice, to love mercy, and to walk humbly before your God. But the Habakkuk phrase of the just shall live by faith, which I understand is more correctly represented as by his faithfulness, you know, that when you move into the person of Christ, two things happen. The law is honored and not debunked. But the relationship question, you know, when you give the four uh, propositions in your closing chapter, you know, starting all the way from purpose and then in relationship. The most moving moment in your book is when you talk to your daughter. Okay, I loved it. I'm a grandfather of five. And uh, my grandson Jude, brilliant guy, he uses words like hypothesis and all of that. He's only about, he's turning eight tomorrow, okay. (laughs) When my daughter Naomi lost her car keys, she stopped going crazy in the house, slapped her forehead and said, I must be losing my mind. Little Jude, who was five and a half then, stood in front of her and he said, Mommy, whatever you do, please don't ever lose your heart because I'm in there. (laughs) That personal relationship, as much as I value and love the law, I need to go beyond that relationships. And so here's what I say. The most beautiful moment in the New Testament to me. If I were to choose one moment or two, first I would want to listen to Jesus' talk on Emmaus Road because he connects all the dots going back to the beginning. Brilliant history lesson. Uh, You would love it, I think, as he talked on the Emmaus Road. But the second moment was when he was on the Mount of Transfiguration. Who does he bring with him? Moses and Elijah, two of the most thundering prophets for whom he was the undertaker. Okay, we don't know exactly what Moses was buried in. Elijah goes up on chariots of fire. But then he goes to the cross. I know I can't pay for myself. The redemptive factor of the purest paying for the impure. Not that there was no penalty, but he paid it and then rises again from the dead. To me, it's a composite that doesn't violate what preceded. I think it completes it. And to me, the attractiveness and I really appreciate you even giving me the opportunity to share it. Let me give you an illustration of this. I was in Jerusalem some years ago. You may know the name of Moshe Sharon, the well-known scholar on Islamics in Israel. Okay, I was writing a book on an imaginary conversation between Jesus and Muhammad. It'll be released posthumously. So <laughs> I've got it written, okay? So I'll tell you what he said to me great man. He's probably more written more on any inscripturing stone than any other human being around there. He looked at me and he said, Mr. Zacharias, you're a very clever man. He said, well, I'll tell you something you don't know. I said, there's a lot I don't know, sir. He said, no, let me tell you something. He said, you don't know about me. He said, I'm now a professor. He said, but I used to work for the Mossad. He said, Mr. Zacharias, you're a Christian. I'm a Jewish man. But we both have one thing in common. I said, what's that? He said, communion with God. I said, you're right. My goal in life is to have communion with God. He said, so is mine. He said, but I picked up extremists 
who would go and blow themselves up. And what people don't know, he said, they would have a leaden leaden girdle around that midsection so that they could protect what they felt they were going to use in paradise finally. So that's a different worldview. That's a different worldview. He said, you and I can talk because we have the same goal, communion with God. But if a person thinks of an erotic and essentially driven eternity, I'm not on the same page with that person. We have completely different goals. So I say, to me in Christ, I see the completion of the story because I hunger not just for propositional truth. When Jesus comes down from the mountain and Peter goes, what does he say? But now we have the word of the prophets made most certain, and you would do well to pay heed to it as a light in a dark place. So I think it is a completion, and my friend Prager was absolutely right. When the Lord returns, I'll say, truly, have you been here before? <laughs> but my goal would be to get there before he returns. Uh, I'm 73 now, but that's my answer to you. All right. So what do you think of that? Well... There's some really genius things in there. Probably in the end, he punts. That's kind of disappointing, actually. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, it's it's number one. He's he. I don't know anybody who's able to sort of hold your attention, like Rafi Zacharias, like the way he weaves in these points and stories and everything else like this. And he does have this sort of this very this great gentleness to him. Um, and so, and and he he can quote so many people that he lets other people make the point for him in some ways. Uh-huh. So, you know, he'll contrast Islam with Christianity and Judaism. That's fine, um, but, but I he, he, there's so many to go to this and to go to the uh, transfiguration is actually a brilliant point. Uh-huh. And, and the road and, to and, man. And this, yeah, yeah, and the road to, and to say, look, this there's nothing. Christianity doesn't add anything to Judaism. Christianity is Judaism. Uh-huh. The Judaism that you have now is a perversion of Judaism. Uh-huh. So, you know, and it's a legalistic perversion that gets away from the grace of God in Christ and from the delight of a person. It was really rhetorically beautiful. Actually, when he went to Ben Shapiro's book and talked about how the 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 most the best part of it was the stuff that he wrote to his daughter, mm-hmm. you know, I mean yeah. that's just kind of rhetorically brilliant. But I don't know, I don't, I don't. He he certainly didn't hammer home the point like I think he he could have, or in fact that he should have. Yeah, I, I agree that there's a lot in in there that that we can really appreciate. I mean, I think he was he was taking a two pronged approach with. Um, Ben's question, and, and I and I do think it was a stroke of brilliance just to to not say, well, this is what Christianity adds, but to say that look, uh, Christianity is really what fulfills all this. Um, and he he brought that with the with the prophets and all that from the Old Testament, and then he's also trying to say that this culminates then in a communion with God. Um, I I. I for a moment, could say, okay, I think he's conceding to say that we do. I mean, anyone who is religious is seeking a communion with God. It's just misdirected uh, for those who uh, do not have faith in Christ. So I, I, I thought he was kind of going there. But to what he said, though, from the from the prophets and from the Old Testament, and to bring it to Jesus, and that Jesus um, is the fulfillment, that he didn't take away from the law. He was the embodiment of the law in perfection, and now then offered up his life as a ransom for ours. Um, uh, that, w- that was gold. That, that part of it was gold. So just uh, 15 seconds left, Pastor. 
Yeah. It's just the problem is, um, you know, when you're contrasting something, you finally got to contrast it. Yeah. You've heard it said, but I say to you. Mm-hmm. And modern Judaism um, denies the divinity of Christ, which means what Jesus says. If you don't know me, you don't have the Father. And that should break our hearts. All right. Well, thanks for listening to this edition of Table Talk Radio. Where the shame is like the mayor of Milwaukee. <laughs> Go home, Thanks Evan. for listening to this edition of Table Talk Radio. Go home. Table Talk Radio is not for everyone. Please shame. consult your pastor before listening to Table Talk Radio. <laughs> Side effects may include nausea, vomiting, headache, heartburn, hair loss, hallucinations, and aversion to incomplete sentences, chronic injury, psychosis, coma, death, halitosis, lung cancer, brain tumors, sleep gain, internal bleeding, internal combustion, a sudden craving to smell your backseat, claustrophobia, an uncontrollable urge to fight the Calvinists on Twitter, and falling off your treadmill. For more information, visit tabletalkradio.org.